And welcome to the Galatian Musical Podcast. It is beer, metal, swearing, and shades. Of course, I am Nick Cameron of Galatian Musical, joined by my good friend, a man who's always watching the pot, who's always ready to make sure everything's cleaned up, Keefe Chamberlain. How are we doing today, buddy? Future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. I literally have that on vinyl. I know you do. We taught Timbuk3. Yes, well, it was it was six dollars. I mean, what am I gonna do? Six bucks? Yeah, fine. Whatever. It's got one song that's worth six bucks. I mean, I actually bought my wife uh, four and her four today. It was it was five bucks. I mean, that's that's two bucks cheaper than what it costs to ship anything. Whew. Apparently, I am higher energy than I thought. I'm trying to keep my voice down so I don't shout over Keefe this week because I get excited and loud, and nobody needs that. Whew. Slow down. I mean, slow down. It's DRI week, and I want to slow down. We're, we're going to be talking about 21 songs over the course of 21 minutes today. Maybe we don't need to slow down. Maybe we should speed up. Anyway, if you are joining us here for the first time for us talking about the greatest crossover thrash band of all time from from Frisco and Frisco, because they're from Texas, and there's a Frisco in Texas, and then they moved to San Francisco, which is also Frisco, so they could have Frisco melt twice. They could like do two kinds of Frisco melts, probably. Anyway, thank you for joining us for DRI. Here's how we do this. We do a greet, a beer, a vinyl, a shirt, a news, a meat. The meat this week is going to be a little bit thin because, again, 21 songs, 21 minutes. And some of these songs are, it'll take longer for me to say the name than for you to listen to the song. So... Please accept that you are not going to get the standard track by track of the 1847 tracks. Anyway, my beer of the week is one of Keefe's favorites, a Dale's Pale Ale. What's the size on that pale ale? Mm, just a 12 ounce. Perfection finger fudge pour. Nice no stuff. spillage in my nice. Stella Artois oh, glass. I got to drink from that glass, I think. Doesn't make uh, it special. Aw. Okay, a little. Damn. Making me feel bad. I already had a rough day. Uh, I am drinking today in a surprise reveal koozie. The very last anchor beer ever in existence on planet earth probably not but i have the last one that i have don't so worry somebody's gonna buy it and i finally found my cool official bar bottle opener there's a very cool story about a very lascivious bar back that gave this to me because i was extra flirty and tippy that night not tipsy but tippy and of course the I only bar backs that have ever flirted with me have been dudes that's cool i only get hit on in gay bars um, that ha that that's common here. Uh, finger fudge pour down the middle. Do, 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 do. Even though it's in a glass, and I could have just drank it in the glass. No way, no, 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 no. no You still gotta pour it. Uh, cheers it up in the bottle. Cheers, my friend. The weird thing though, when I say I only get hit on a gay bars, that also, I mean, it's not just dudes. Uh, I've been hit on two times in my life by women in bars, and they were both in gay bars. Not, not a shock. Take that, however. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not the pick of the litter in a standard bar. It just is what it is. Uh, my vinyl check this week. I got a twofer for you. Hey, look, I'm hot enough for what I need. I tricked my wife somehow. Don't let her know. Uh, first off, I was gonna only do one, but then I realized I need to do a double because you have already checked. The Cannibal Corpse by the with featuring George Corpse Grinder Fisher, the world's greatest crane game player. It is a oddly colored uh, creamsicle swirl, I guess is. I don't know. I don't know. You can't see it real well on camera, but uh, I did not buy a autographed version because autographed versions can eat their own butt i see no point in that whatsoever they didn't you didn't get made to buy one uh i noticed that's not the eye come blood color variant no no <laughs> oh no it is not the pedro serrano uh it is it was pedro serrano wasn't it that I, did uh blood and semen yeah i think that's right or am i thinking of uh 
the outfielder from Major League. No, Serrano is right. I may be Pedro or Pablo. I'm not sure. But Serrano is the last name of the Jesus, artist. I love him very much. <laughs> but he no help with curveball. Exactly. Are you saying Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Anyway. My second one is one of my favorite members of the KISS family, Bruce Kulick. Union Live at the Galaxy, which is their second of three releases. It's got a bunch of, obviously, Union tracks. One Motley Crue, a couple KISS tunes. Really cool. I don't know what you would call that. Uh, really cool pattern. What's that pattern? It's a purple and clear if you're not watching this on video. It is gorgeous. You should actually come back and check it out. Uh, it is two discs, so it has Nick's personal permission to be a gatefold. And it's also got a bunch of cover songs, a few songs by The Scream. It, it, it's, it's a pretty damn good set. I think Deco went a little hefty on the pricing, and I ended up getting it on Amazon for about $25 when Deco was selling it for $40. And the Cannibal Corpse was 29 also on Amazon. Nice work. Nice work. So I have a fun twofer today, and I'm crossing one off the bucket list of sorts. My first big Discogs purchase of something I've been chasing for a long time. Now, you will be the judge as to whether it's worth owning this or not. It probably, honestly, isn't. But... Of course it is. If you if you if you paid for it, it's worth owning. You'll you'll you may feel differently in a second. It definitely rivals uh, some of your purchases, <gasps> such as Beyond Magnetic. Uh, so hey hey hey, do you have Beyond Magnetic? I do not. I do. It was so worth it. I I've been slacking on my discogs, and I have you know a wish list there of things that I'd like to have, but I don't. And one of those things has been the Metallica tribute double single seven inch to Chris. Yeah, Cornell. not worth owning. And guess what? I have it. So I got it for half the price it's going I'm for. I'm sorry, me. I gotta cover my eye now. <laughs> With a ghost cult coaster. It is I got it for half the price it's been going for on Discord. That's been going for like a hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty. I'm just gonna say, look, so if you paid sixty bucks, say sixty bucks. You paid 60 bucks for two tracks. That aren't even good covers. That's right. right. And I got Death Magnetic, which is four tracks. Beyond Magnetic. What, whatever. The, the silver stupid thing that nobody remembers or even knows. Uh, it's got four tracks, and those tracks are eight minutes long each. So one track is longer than a whole, like that whole thing. Right. So I love Metallica, and I love Chris Cornell, so I had to have this. Uh, I like the Hardwired to Self-Destruct Portamento, if you will. A juxtaposition, a tribute to Chris Cornell. Uh, so it comes, first of all, with the sleevey sleeve, right? Front cover mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. back cover. And it's number 004926, fourth edition. So always getting, place. always getting lower numbers than me. What the fuck? Well, you don't have this. So this has two early. Soundgarden covers All Your Lies and Head Injury, which are both great songs, not necessarily great by Metallica, but nonetheless, I have it. It came with these four postcards, also in the style of hardwired, you know, the hardwired artwork. Mm -hmm. Definitely stolen from Crowbar. Uh, there's an additional inside uh, jacket for the vinyl, which is just a standard. Black yeah, the, the Metallica Vinyl Club doesn't have anything cool when it comes to the vinyl itself. Not yet. Hopefully someday. There's the uh, back of the sleeve. And then there's a note, and I'm going to read the note. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for your music. Thank you for the words. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for the shows. Thank you for the good times, for putting yourself out there. And thank you, along with your fellow bandmates, for giving us something that inspired us, excited us, meant something, moved us, and not only gave us belief in the possibilities, but turned us the fuck on. There's another paragraph and a half I'm not going to read in the interest of time. But really cool. And then that same seller who was selling this had something else interesting in his shop that I did not need, but it was kind of cheap, so I bought it. And that is one of the Metallica 30, first 30 years single vinyls. This was a bought for $1.50. I paid $10 for it. I think it's worth it. 10 bucks. So, I paid 10 bucks. So this is. Did you buy me one? Recorded. I did not. He only. Ah. 
recorded at the 30th anniversary concerts here in San Francisco with the Fillmore. I did not go because I did not live here yet. But anyway, this has So What Live um, featuring Animal from Anti-Nowhere League who wrote the song. Pretty cool. And Through the Never, Nick's not favorite song from... Never mind. Don't buy me one. <laughs> and just for that, I will. Uh, and this <laughs> and this only has the uh, Metallica with the awesome 30th anniversary logo. with the I did lenses. love that logo. And I like the first 30 years scroll that kind of looks like the year and a half in the life of Metallica font. So, you know, 10 bucks, 60 bucks, 70 bucks plus, you know, free shipping. Um, I was not, I, I might have eventually caved in and bought that Cornell for 120. So, whatever. I own it. I wanted it. I got it. Just a quick Discog story before we move on to the, the, the shirt check. I was going to buy something and I don't remember what it was. It was $11. And I had enough like credit card points to buy it outright. So I, I put it in my cart and I go to check out and it says, you are $39, you are $29 below the seller's minimum order. And I'm like, wait a minute, you won't walk to the mailbox for less than 40 bucks. All right, I know a seller I don't need to ever play with. Oh, it was Digital Underground, it was the Digital Underground record. Yeah, I don't need to ever F with you. 40 bucks, you go to hell. You go to hell and you die. Because I'm cool like that. I'm cool like that. I'm he cool not like cool that. like that. He like he, cool like nothing. He's not cool like nothing. Yeah, that seems very shitty. And I, I get having a minimum, and I'm fine with that. Because there's people, a lot of people are selling stuff for like two and three bucks. And I mean, yeah, I get that. You don't want to go to the mailbox for two bucks. But I'm sorry. Uh, my the The highest my personal... Minimum order ever was was fifteen dollars, but also at that time most of the records I was selling were thirty to fifty, so it didn't even matter. Whatever, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. I would have bought it. I didn't buy it. I bought something else instead. Fair enough. That's you know that's the way the cookie crumbles. That is my first real purchase of a Discogs in a long time. I think except from when I bought something from you, and uh, but that's the one that I had been like really wanting so i'm glad i got it good work i have uh trying to think i think i bought something off discogs recently i don't remember um yeah i did i did i bought a couple of things which we'll be checking probably when we get closer to the chaser that's got coming up because i have been on an orgy of record buying for the past uh two weeks and it's actually i got another one today handed to me so yay Anyway, quick shirt check. I am rocking the Mr. Flibble. Mr. Flibble is very cross with you, which is a Red Dwarf episode where Rimmer goes crazy and tries to kill the rest of the crew while wearing a red-checked gingham dress and pigtails. It, it is fully unnecessary for you to stand up and fully body show us your shirt. Anyway, Hard I... Hard disagree. I am wearing... My brand new turkey vulture shirt. So My wife is... says I'm sexy. I don't know what she's thinking, but she says I am. Hmm. Okay. Uh, turkey vulture, brand new shirt. Shout out to turkey vulture from Connecticut. Hi, Jesse. Hope you're listening. Anyway, so quick news checks for me. I have two kiss news, re kiss, two kiss news items, of course. The first one, as most likely everyone who listens to this podcast, including... Superfan Danny Nichols, who has texted me about this already today. Ace Fraley has released his latest single, which is called 10,000 Volts. Quick review of this four-minute track. If you are looking for any lyrics that are not horrifically bad, uh, go ahead and pull a Grandpa Simpson and just walk right back out that door. The lyrics are about how much he loves his woman. They could be about any woman... Uh, it's not quite as awful as What Every Girl Wants, the song where I'll give you what every girl wants, because apparently Ace has never gotten to know a single woman in his life beyond boobs. Based on, the, based on, the, based on that track, he doesn't know anything. Anyway, uh, the guitars are pretty good. The sound is pretty good. Production, recording, I'm actually quite surprised. Ace's vocals are even probably the best vocally he has been since Space Invader. 
but not as good as Space Invaders. So all in all, it um, I mean, I was expecting uh, a train wreck in a pile of dog shit. And we got like stepping in gray dog shit, which I mean, gray dog shit, you step in it, it doesn't matter. So I, that's a great plus for me. So good work, Ace. I am uh, pre-orders for the album, which is also called 10,000 Volts are up and going at Monarch Heavy. I imagine you'll be hearing my voice saying that soon. Ace Fraley, 10,000 volts, Monarch Heavy. Uh, my other bit of KISS-related news this week. Apparently, Vinnie Vincent, when he said he has mixed the album and sent it off to the pressing plant, he was mistaken. Because well-known Vinnie Vincent sock puppet Paul Runner on Facebook has announced that the mixing is now almost done and they hope to have the mixing done by the end of the year at which point it could then be sent to the pressing plant to be purchased for christmas 2024 this record has been done for 30 plus years and he's still mixing it kudos kudos so and then apparently uh, Face All Burgess or Face All Smile or whatever the dude's name is. I don't care. I don't know. He's a poker player that's uh, got the coveted position of, uh, a, of uh, Vinny's vocalist is now doing press. And by press, I mean really horrifically, terribly done YouTube videos that make this look exceedingly professional uh, about what's coming, including a brand new other record whose name I don't recall that is coming out sometime in 2025. They did follow up with, it seems like a long time, but it's only a year. Of course, you did say the album that's coming out in Christmas 2024 was due in 2022, which was also due in 2023 and was also due in 1991. So just giving you the facts, just giving you the facts. You interpret that, you infer, you imply when you speak later. Whatever that means. I think it means, holy crap, somebody's going crazy. Going crazy? Um, toys in the attic, I am crazy. Uh, Nick is doing a technique we call, in journalism, burying the lead. And so, just to let you know, the actual important KISS news this week is that KISS is going to play their final two shows ever we talked about that we even talked about it at length last week we did we're going to talk about that in a second but um, when's that going to get posted tonight oh cool so we so it actually has room to breathe tomorrow before it gets swallowed up by all the friday news so kiss is playing their very last theoretically very last two shows ever gene and paul retiring from stage life i don't believe it but nick is swearing on a stack of bibles that they're done he does not want someone to die on stage. I if they that. play again, I will stop drinking beer. If Let me rephrase. If they tour again, no more beer. I, I look at Motley Crue, and I look at Judas Priest, and I look at other bands, and I'm like, hmm. They money, ain't seven-eighths dead. I agree, I agree, but the money is too good, and that's the number one thing. Even if they half sell out things. By the way, there's tons of tickets left on just regular Ticketmaster and StubHub and Game Time and all these apps. So if you want to go to these last two KISS shows, you can get a ticket for about 200 bucks. I think the moment of the show, they're going to go down dramatically by like three quarters. I think um, if you wait until the afternoon of the show, you'll probably be able to get in for 100 bucks. And if it means something to you, like it does to a lot of people, good for you. Good for you. So... Yeah, KISS Farewell, KISS Final Shows. And to celebrate this time, because we don't get a lot of bands formally retiring and potentially being gone off the, you know, not gone as a brand, but gone as a band. So I held the very first Ghost Cult Roundtable where I pulled together my favorite people in the world who like KISS and love KISS, mostly journalists and writers and bloggers and vloggers, one kick-ass musician who I happen to be friends with, and we rapped about KISS for an hour and five minutes, and I think it went really well. And that's going to run later tonight at the Ghost Cut channel. By the time this podcast runs, it will be out already, and we will relink it in the description. And I will have shared it on all of my socials. Thank you. Because um, I'm I, that kind of guy. 
I think it's going to be like a genera a general version first for YouTube and then we'll do some fun stuff with it over the rest of December as time allows. It's a it's a kind of crunch time wartime crunch time thing. Probably should have recorded it a few weeks ago. Uh, Omar cut this was on vacation, then Omar cut this came home for work and Thanksgiving, then Omar cut this had the flu and so we're we're backed up a little bit, but thank you, Omar Cutthis. And so KISS, lots of KISS stuff going on. And um, yeah, not a whole lot else going on uh, to talk about. So I think we'll just keep it as a KISS news check right now. I don't, uh, there's other things. Uh, Megadeth, I guess we should talk about Megadeth. The crazy drama continues with Megadeth and Slipknot. So we'll just briefly touch on those. Megadeth, you know the story, Kiko Larrero, Midsummer dropped off the tour replaced by the Winter Sun lead guitarist whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, Kiko makes an announcement last week. Look, I've decided to extend my hiatus from the band. I'm not in the band right now. I'm dealing with family stuff. Dave made a comment publicly. We love Kiko. We respect Kiko. We're keeping Timu for now. Now Is Kiko... he dealing with it? Ah, funny. And so um, then yesterday or today yesterday kiko was on a podcast by one of his former bandmates in the band angra and he basically said i have left megadeth and i have to deal with my family my family comes first and there's been many times in my career i put my family last and the band first and that's not happening anymore and one of the reasons i joined megadeth was for fr the freedom i needed to care for my family and do things and so sounds like there's a rub going on where, you know, maybe Megadeth gave Kiko an ultimatum and told him he needed to be on the road with them. And he was like, my family, bro. Um, he missed the birth of his first child, his daughter, while he was on tour with Angra. He went on tour three weeks after the birth of his twin sons a few years later. And so he's got some stuff going on at home. And he's As a father, I can tell you, witnessing the birth of my daughter was one of the most horrifically disgusting experiences I've ever been a part of. But I'm certainly glad I didn't miss it. I was not ready for that statement to come out of your face hole. But anyway. Look, I, I should mention, I got, uh, we'll say corrected, quite a bit during uh, the pregnancy when I started talking about, I don't understand why we do it this way. It seems like we could have gone Brave New World by now. We have the technology. And everybody looked at me horrified. <laughs> Apparently, I'm the only one that thinks Brave New World. Yes, check, please. Let's get, let's hit, let's get there. Aldous Huxley got it right. He did it way better than than um, Orwell did. I mean, Orwell, he's doing like these places that suck. I mean, Brave New World. Everybody's happy. Everybody's attractive. You're getting it. Drink all you want. It's have a great day. I mean, no true happiness or sadness or art. But oh, wait a minute! I just got it. I just, I just got why Brave New World saw, oh man, I'm an idiot. Well, we should still do the baby factory thing. Soylent Green is people. Oh wait, that's a different movie. Sorry. That's a different deal. Um, no, I'm being, I'm being very literate. This is a very literate podcast. We read books and stuff. Is that the Henry Rollins gig on Iron Maiden? We read a lot of books and then write songs. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. That um, is a callback to, I think, every episode we've ever done. Yeah, basically. Um, incidentally... I like almost no children, but your daughter is awesome. Yeah, I know. She's pretty great. She's really great. Um, last bit of news. More drama from Slipknot. Drama, it's, drama, drama. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Uh, so again, the timeline of Slipknot the last few weeks. Jay Weinberg is fired from Slipknot. He is not told beforehand, before the post goes up on social media. Slipknot's favorite thing in the world is to make a post on social media and then delete it. But the receipts are kept by everyone because we know better. That's um, like getting finding out you've been traded on Twitter. It's been, it's happened. Um, uh, many times. Then Jay comments after a few days, I feel brokenhearted and betrayed. They definitely fired me with no warning. I don't know why. Appreciate my time. Love the fans. I'll be back. Then, Jay, Slipknot makes no other comments. They deleted all their social posts about the firing, but it's remained on their website, and it was understood by the music industry he was fired. Then he gets an elective hip and uh, femur surgery that he's needed for a long time. He claims it did not affect his drumming at all, but that he needed them eventually, and that he, because Slipknot had four months off, 
between now and Sick New World at the end of April, which I hope to go to as press again, he had that window to recover. It's very strange timing that he literally gets the surgery a week after he's fired from the band. He shares a bunch of social media posts of him on crutches in the Lower East Side where he grew up with his dad, Max Weinberg, and him and his girlfriend, and everybody's wishing him well. If, if he was fired because he had an injury he needed to tend to, that's really terrible. Hey, what do we learn from sports? You don't lose your job because of injury. Supposed to not, but you know that. It all, but I mean, but it always happens. It always. Uh, da- uh, Daniel Jones of the New York Giants were looking at yeah, you. Yeah, Phil Simms looking at you. Phil Simms broke, that broke my heart. I'm glad we won the Super Bowl when he went down, but then they treated him like dog shit after. Yes, uh, they did. The Giants, as much as I love the Giants, and they have been at different times one of the most respected sports franchises of all time, they have done some shady, shitty things to their veterans. That's treated. what sports franchises do. Yeah. And Jeff Hopstetler, Super Bowl champion, can go to hell is all I care. Number 11, man. That was my boy at the time. Yeah, we didn't have a team. I was all up on the Giants because they oh, were winning. Cool. That was my they team. Were, they were I winning. Went, I went to two games that year. Um, I saw Leonard uh, George Martin, the defensive end, return an interception from John Elway like 80 yards in a regular season game. And then he did it again in the Super Bowl. Uh, and then so here's the new thing. Jeremy Kling, famous death metal drummer and producer, formerly of Venom Inc. The day that Jay Weinberg is fired, Jeremy leaves Venom Inc. in a very public social media post. And then he posts and takes down an image of his drum kit with the Slipknot logo or, like superimposed on it, like a goof. So he definitely trolled Slipknot and their fans. And then so Corey Taylor was asked if it's Jeremy. Is Jeremy Just the guy? Just for the record, let me, let me jump. Look at that wonderful, like, wrapping it all together. Because, Keefe, we don't, we don't discuss this completely unscripted. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Good work. I don't quite know what you're talking about. But anyway. So, Corey Taylor is interviewed. What does Corey Taylor think? Corey Taylor thinks he was asked directly about Jeremy. And without naming his name, he said... That guy should stop trolling our fans. It is 100% not him. He wasn't even on the list. So again, my prediction is that they knew they were going to fire Jay. They have somebody lined up. They know who it is already. Or a short list of people. They want it to be. It's not Jeremy Kling. Would have been awesome. He certainly could play all of Jay Weinberg's stuff. But the drama continues for two of the most major metal bands in the world. Megadeth and Slipknot. And that's my news break. Indeed, indeed. I'm going to say one last thing, then I'm going to go ahead and uh, get the forks and plates out. Watch this space. Anyway, so, moving back into 1982. 1982, we are living large on the release of the hostages, which we later found out Ronald Reagan kept in captivity longer than they needed to be. We are living large in the Cold War era. And the Cold War era is the last time in American history, and probably forever, where we had a mobilization of the of of the the civilian populace in order to 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 outfit the war effort, the war that thankfully never came. In 1982, I am in second grade. And I can remember in Henry Elementary School on Henry Road in Baldwin, Missouri, which is about 35 minutes outside of St. Louis City, where I'm sitting now. That's where my cousins lived on Muir View Drive. And we are, everybody's saying, what does your dad, you know, who is your daddy? What does your daddy do? Like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop, but we were in second grade. And... Everybody said, works for McDonald's, works for McDonald's, works for McDonald's. And I, my, my eight-year-old brain is like, wait, what? Everybody here was dad works at McDonald's? Doesn't seem right. My, my stepsister works there and she wears a paper hat. I realized later what they were saying was McDonald, McDonald Douglas, which at the time was a huge, huge employer in the St. Louis area. And a huge defense contractor. They built F-14s, F-16s, nuclear weapons. They were the company that Tim Robbins was talking about in Bob Roberts. Uh, Tim Robbins wrote it. He, his character, I don't remember the name of the character that did it. 
Although he did do it in uh, SNL when he was promoting Bob Roberts. Anyway, you get my point. America was living large. We were about to fully step into the cocaine 80s. But there's something else going on. The greatest baseball team in the history of the world with three names. Wins. Their ninth World Championship. Okay. Dramatic effect. The St. Louis Cardinals win their ninth World Series title. They defeat the Milwaukee Brewers, featuring on catcher Ted Simmons, Simba, Hall of Famer-ish, maybe? I don't know. Former Cardinal. Shouldn't have left, son. Anyway. But that's not what's real. That's not what I was looking for. That is the most random anecdote that Milwaukee Brewers fans don't even remember. Um, Ted Simmons have, like, is a hero here, as a legitimate hero here. Two two good pitchers and Yount and uh, Trammell, right? Like that's really all they had. Yeah, basically, we had uh, Bruce Suter, Ozzie Smith, Willie McGee. Uh, let's see who else? Uh, Keith Hernandez was still playing first base for the Cardinals. Daryl Porter g- goes on to start his amazing career before he gets run out on town from on a rail for uh, snorting the cocaine. Same with Joaquin Andahar, also the cocaine. Gary with Templeton. The, oh wait, no, Max. Gary Templeton was already gone because of the cocaine. Yeah, so was Max on the cocaine. Oh yeah, lots of cocaine. Lots you know cocaine. what? I, you know what I used to eat for breakfast? Cocaine. You know what I used to eat for lunch? Cocaine. Yeah, basically the entire uh, World Series was populated by Dr. Roxo, the rock and roll clown. I do cocaine! That was everyone. Everybody in the 80s that had any kind of money did cocaine. Have you ever seen RoboCop? That was real life. They all did it because that was the status drug. Grant Fuhr, greatest goalie of all time, according to Wayne Gretzky. Cocaine! They all did the cocaine. Anyway, so we are now knee-deep into this era. We, everybody is shoveling snow away from everywhere. Well, the upper class, the rich people, the tax cuts from Reagan, the balanced budget that's coming, still waiting for that, uh, Republicans, by the by. It's been 40 plus years. Uh, They're all doing well. Well, what happens when the rich do well? The broke rise up. Hey, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So now we start seeing things hardcore. America is now reacting to the the, the punk music, the punk rock from England. And what does America do? America, like Japan, is a borrowing culture. We're a melting pot. But we always give this distinct American ingredient. And what is that American ingredient that we do to everything? What is the most quintessentially American thing you can name? One word. It begins with an E. Elastics. Okay. Here is an IPA. An IPA is an English beer style. What did we do to it? Oh, you like hops? Here's a thousand hops. Oh, you want your extra special bitter at 6%? Yeah, fuck you, wuss. Here's 13% booze. American excess. American excess is a virtue. It is an American trait. We all have it. You and I vinyl check every week. We both have an, um, an American excess of records. I will not stop. I will die and be when my calyx falls over on me and crushes me. When my records kill me, I have four cats. That's not enough. I want five. I don't have a Maine Coon. I want a Maine Coon, which is the largest domestic cat. Yes, I live in American excess. We all do. Unless you're some kind of weird ass Buddhist that I don't understand. And if you are, I love you. Thank you. Namaste. So what happens when America throws back, when they, when we export, when we export punk rock, England's answer to Pink Floyd back at them? We export hard rock. We export thrash metal. We take what they did and went, that's wonderful. Let's, uh, let's just go ahead and knock this up a notch or seven. So we get the Beastie Boys. We get bands now in 1982 that are actively referencing Ronald Reagan. There aren't very many that last, but we have the Reagan Youth. 
And 20 years later, we even have the International Playboys, who in 2005 put out a concept record about how much they hated Ronald Reagan. Uh, unfortunately, he had been dead for some time at that point. So I don't know who they were burning, but it was a great show. They come out and they said, we are the International Playboys from Montana. Fuck you. Montana is cool. We got horses and shit. And then he lists off a phone number. That's my cell phone. Call me after the show. We will talk about Montana. I almost asked my buddy for the number, and I'm like, wait a minute. He wants to talk about Montana? No. You go ahead. You do you. Do you. So we have, at this point in time, basically, we are living on the Titanic. We have the upper class. We have the uh, stewage. What is it? Stowage? Steerage. Steerage. Thank you. I'm not uh, boat people. I'm not that fancy yet. So, and this is the beginning of an American history, the beginning of American history when the wealth divide starts growing exponentially. Before the 1980s, we were much like Japan, CEO and modern and common worker the, the CEO made 50 times what the, the worker did. Now it's 4,000. Americans have less buying power now than we did in the whole rest of American history. When that happens, you get bands angry. You get angry art. You get anti-capitalism. The rise of Boots Riley 20 year, 10 years later. The rise of the Beastie Boys, Reagan Youth. All of these people... Now is the time for anger because they see what's coming. I yield my time. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we are in the presence of the greatest episode table setter in the history of all podcasting, Nicholas Cameron. Thank you. I yield my time is that hashtag. Uh, it's going to be all over that Kiss podcast, by the way. I that, started that. Just going to throw I, that out there. I know you did. I know you did. It was too funny, though. Like, you have to admit how funny it was that everybody was like, and I yield my time. Hey, anytime people impersonate me, regardless of whether I'm impersonating a senator or not, I'm down. I had Vegas odds on one person on that roundtable dropping the hot fire takes, and it was you. And I was very su pleasantly surprised. Um, my takes are not hot fire. My takes are truth. Maybe. Truth bombs, perhaps. Knowledge bombs, definitely. So, rising from this political unrest, punk scenes pop up everywhere. I was lucky enough back in May to go to the Punk Rock Museum in Las Vegas. It is wonderful, and if you find yourself in Las Vegas, it isn't cheap, but it's absolutely worth going to, and I highly recommend on your... You may home. find yourself. You may find yourself at the Punk Rock Museum on the south end of the strip not that safe but you're going to uber everywhere anyway i'm sure i'm going to vegas in a three in a few weeks so i will not but next should, time very, should, we're only there life. for a day and a half this is no. it's my birthday it not, is not just, enough time no definitely get a good cow and let me know how your steak goes um okay i know she doesn't listen but just in case my wife listens this week my god where we are staying has a5 wagyu and i am hoping to god on my birthday she goes nick you haven't shut up about A5 Wagyu for the past two years. Please get one. If you're going to get one, now's the time. Um, I would say that the last time I was in Vegas, I did not get a steak. But the time before, when I was a year and a half ago for Psycho Las Vegas, I went to the one steakhouse at the Virgin Hotel, formerly the Hard Rock Hotel. And it was fantastic. I had one of the best meals of my entire life. We are staying at the Bellagio. I love it. Oh, you're going all in. I love it. Bellagio's it's, it's, I, I'm not going to divulge anything past what I'm, the one sentence I will give. Um, my wife was able to find all kinds of crazy discounts. Uh, so whatever number you're thinking this, this, this basically two-day trip is going to cost, take yeah. off at least 60%. Yeah. 60, yeah. 70%. Vegas is not the discount heaven it used to be, but you can still get some great deals if you try. I'm and surprised that we can do this trip for the – I thought the flights would cost more than the whole trip. Are they direct flights or are you doing layovers? The first one is a direct. The second is a layover. What's great is uh, we're going to be gone on Christmas Eve, right? 
Christmas Eve, I'm going to be in airports on air on airplanes all day. So right. let's not uh, talk I'm... anymore about your travel plans on this party public podcast. Sorry. Um, anyway, just Omar cut this. Anyway, no, Omar's not going to totally cut, this. cut it. Omar, cut it. Anyway, so reeling it back as we're talking about Las Vegas and steaks and A5 Wagyu's and vinyl. Um, America's in disrepair, complete disrepair as a nation following the disastrous bankrupt 70s. I honestly, as a child of the Reagan 80s, never thought I would see a worse president than Reagan. I'm not trying to get political. We often do. But I'm just saying, like, in my lifetime, the president who has ruined the country the most is Ronald Reagan. And surely he still has his fans, uh, including Biden, by the way. I'm just going to point that out there. But um, he's a huge fan, uh, horribly. Biden so, is far less than perfect, and he's far better than other choices. I guess. So there are punk scenes now popping up, not just in London, not just in New York, not just in L.A., not just in Southern California, not just Huntington Beach, but everywhere. And, you know, places with extreme disparities in rich and poor. Friend of the show, Dave Grohl, comes up in the Washington, D.C. hardcore scene. I mean... he does. Scream actually just put out a reissue of a record he's not on, but he played toward about that record. Think about, I mean, when has Washington, D.C. ever had any scene, period? Well, that's not Much... actually true. They have had a huge music scene of all jazz, classic rock, R&B, rap. But like... All punk, right, I'll punk, shut up. Punk rock put... put the, yeah, I'd like to finish. You had a whole uninterrupted soliloquy and I'm just getting interrupted. But anyway, I think I was very mean to Nick in our last podcast. This is our first one back in a couple of weeks, and I had vowed to be a little nicer and sensitive to his delicate, you know, emotions. Um, but I can't get a word in edgewise, so maybe I'm just going to go back to being a prick. I don't know. Uh, anyway, this podcast will be ending after this episode. So, grand opening, grand closing. Houston, full of poverty and heartache and crime and violence and and reaganvilles sprouts up some killer punk rock bands including the dirty rotten imbeciles and really this is one of the first instances along with some of the new york hardcore bands and the heavier la hardcore bands where you're starting to see the blend of punk and metal the very fringe beginning still punks and metalheads hated each other and depending on where you were they would kill each other if they saw each other at each other's shows. But realistically, three, four years before it was acceptable to mix punk and metal, you have DRI founding crossover with the aggression and talent of metal, especially guitarist Spike Cassidy, and the the sheer unbridled ballsiness of punk, the brilliance of punk rock, the ballsiness of punk rock. The middle finger in the air, and brilliant political takes and aesthetics, revolution in a in your headphones, revolution on your boombox. So DRI forms, and within a few months, plays a handful of shows and writes about twenty songs, thirty songs quickly, and immediately records them. Uh, and their album is so short at seventeen minutes and three seconds, it's a seven inch, but it is technically a full album based on the number of songs. I think. It's not an EP. The the best part about that was it was a seven inch playing at thirty three RPM, which is a very rare combination. I have one or two like that, and none of them have this many songs. Fair enough. Now, um, new DRI album cover shows a soldier with an American flag on his army jacket, a skeleton soldier busting through a door with a smoking gun and a bayonet. Not sure about the bayonet being. That is the updated cover. Is that the updated cover? What's the yeah? Original? The original cover was the drummer's, the back of the drummer's head. I thought you were gonna have all these ready to go because you have all these, right? No, I have two of these. Okay. Um. So. The debut album "Dirty Rotten" comes out, and you know they have fast friends with the Circle Jerks and. Black Flag and Scream and Dead Kennedys, all these groups that are forming around this time. Uh, there are other bands that have been around 40 plus years. Melvin's come to mind. But, you know, 
they have taken breaks, but they started this early. Even though the product of the first album is poor, the sound is horrible. The songwriting is already there to me. Like I already see the bones of all their futures. They just couldn't, uh, let's say, uh, they couldn't put it. They couldn't properly, you know, execute it musically or you know recording wise but like the bones of this whole band is right on this first record i would also say the second they recorded this and they performed this as well as i draw in my brain for some reason which i don't understand because i'm not a visual person i'm not a visual learner and i don't like paintings or anything like that i don't like decoration this is this is all this stuff is because i love you the listener and the viewer, because I don't care. I mean, if this were blank, I'd be fine. But I get visual pictures, these amazing, lush visuals when I hear a word, when I hear this, when I hear that. However, if I sat down to draw them, it would be about as good as Draft Me by DRI. That's just, and that's just how they were. And I'm going to quote the lead singer of Snafu, for the love of God, whose name I can never remember, which is so damn disrespectful. When I interviewed him at, at, at FUBAR, he said, yeah, we were punk. And then we got good at our instruments and we became thrash. And that's what this band is. You, it, when we get down the line, which uh, four of a kind is my entrance my, my my jumping on point for for dri i would never i i just thought of them as thrash they at that point they had completely even passed cross so they went from punk to crossover to to pure thrash and it, it's an amazing amazing transformation by these guys only them and suicidal who are also around about as long as these guys did the exact same arc everybody else had kind of a different uh, you know, and, uh, a different circuitous route, but uh, and I, you know that I'm a massive suicidal fan. We probably will do a suicidal run at some point. Happy although, to do. Although we're gonna get <laughs> shadow banned because anything with the word suicide in the title and suicide. We probably should, we, we we should probably call them a uh, suicidal. I don't. No? I don't believe in censorship, my friend. Um, I don't All know right. if you want to run through. So, like uh, the Wikipedia, which we know not to trust. Alternately refers to this as an EP or an LP. It is the, only the original. Minutes. the The original pressing was a seven inch vinyl. That was a one thousand piece pressing done by the band completely independently on Dirty Rotten Records, which of course is their own imprint. When they are signed by somebody, MDC Records. Thank you. When they are signed by MDC Records, it is re released with the new cover with the skeleton cover and not the the back of uh the drummer's head cover which trust me this is a way better cover than than the back of the head the back of the head cover was what i listened to on youtube that's what they showed they they re they put it on 12 inch and renamed it dirty rotten lp which frankly bothers me because lp does not mean 12 inch a 12 inch can be an ep LP means long playing. It means 30 minutes plus. But you're going to sell a lot more records on a 12 inch in 1984 than you are an EP, a 7-inch EP in 1984. Because people are going to look at that and go, that's a single. I'm not paying $9 for your single. Oh, it's a 12-inch? Yeah, I'll pay you 15 bucks for that. It's just marketing. I mean, that's... I'm not going to say I wouldn't have made the exact same choice. In full transparency, my first DRI record was Crossover, and then I was given a mixtape of all their others, like a greatest hits of all their other stuff, tape down, tape down, tape down, generations of, of, of uh, tape recordings. And uh, so that's when I first heard most of these songs, not until much later. But yeah, Crossover same. was the first one I owned. I can I had... remember uh, a friend of mine in algebra, Ryan Nyergis, who always wore... Uh, I mean, it, when growing up, he was like one of the popular kids, and then he got into underground metal. And I remember him in 1991, 1992, wearing a, four, a DRI Four of a Kind t-shirt. And that was how I heard of them. And you know what? You see a cool t-shirt, because you know what? A t-shirt is going to tell you what kind of band it is. You go ask that person. Who dat? Fair enough. 
Um, so rather than run through all these, I'd rather spend a little more time talking about the next EP. But uh, I'm going to just shout out my favorite songs on each side. Uh, if you have some, you can shout out after. Uh, obviously, Sad to Be is the longest track on the whole shebang. And uh, it's two minutes. It's two minutes and 11 seconds, and it's pretty badass. Yes, it is. Um, I also love War Crimes, Draft Me. There's a theme here. Capitalists Suck, Misery Loves Company, Blockhead, which they continue to play, Commuter Man, which I feel very deeply in my soul, Balance of Terror, Money Stinks, Human Waste, and Closet Punk, and of course, the all-time classic, Reaganomics. Uh, you did not mention Who Am I, which is the track that sticks out to me the most. Uh, I did very much enjoy... I think I like Side 2 better than Side 1, although I like Sad to Be, I think, the best on the record. Because for me, DRI is not... I actually had a a DRI live at CBGB record that they released much, much later that I got at Music Record Shop on Washington Avenue. And I could never finish it. I don't like this very early DRI nearly as much as I like the later DRI. I'm not a punk rock dude. I can enjoy punk rock if it's done super well, if it's done super strange. You know, I enjoy the Beastie Boys punk rock just for, uh, well, I mean, the fact that it's laughable. It, it, Beastie, the Beastie Boys' first two albums, Polywog, or releases, Polywog Stew and Cookie Puss are just, I mean, they're basically Spinal Tap on accident. It's Spinal Tap, and they're not in on the joke. So that's why I can appreciate that. You Cookie know, Puss obviously... epic, and maybe the best BC song still. You know, the, no lies detected. I'm I bought you. some old bullshit just so I could have Cookie Puss. That's fair. I do love Cookie Puss. And I wish I had a Cookie Puss from Carvel, possibly the first death metal singer, Tom Carvel, if you know who that is. I don't. But... You know, I, I enjoy, of course, Iggy and the Stooges, James Chance. You know, the the, the proto-punk I thought was way more interesting than Ramon-style punk than Sex Pistols. So, th but this record is really cool because you, you're right. When you say the bones are here, the bones are here. You know, they just haven't, they just haven't achieved final form. They are not Super Saiyan yet. Fair enough. So really quick and moving along, because I know you want to wrap this up soon. The band immediately goes on tour. And while they started touring as early as, let's see, um, Dirty Rotten is officially released in March of 83. They immediately go book a, randomly book a tour and play all over. And Setlist FM doesn't really have any set list from them until june but they played everywhere including tons of punk rock places house shows did they go they, everywhere man they went everywhere man i haven't made that reference in a long time since you checked me um for three out of four days in june 83 dri plays uh well technically they they literally played like a week straight in new york they played albany great gildersleeves now closed in may Left Bank in Mount Vernon, a place I went to. Um, the Living Room in Providence, still there or was there as recently as a few years ago. A7, the legendary punk club, then became Alcatraz. I think it's back to being A7 now. Uh, CBGB, the first time ever on June the 12th, 1983. A place called El Taller, never heard of it. Also June 14, 1983. Bridgeport, Connecticut at Pogo's. That was a place. And then the first Setlist FM evidence of a, of a DRI show. And we, I don't think we can talk about DRI albums without talking about DRI Live, right? They're great live. Uh, Kurt Brecht is great as a front man. Spike is an incredible guitar player. Doesn't really matter who else is in the band. Um, but I'm just going to say that this very first Setlist FM representation at the Space 2 Arcade in Washington, D.C., which you said doesn't have a scene or never had a scene. Um, and I think DRI it's is currently exactly what I said. Currently based out of Baltimore, by the way. Um is a good city. Have been for a long time. It's solid. Um, 25 songs played on June 19th, 1983. Starting with On My Way Home, Reaganomics, Commuter Man, How to Act, Running Around, No Sense, Capitalist Suck, Plastique, Why, Equal People, Balance of Terror, Counterattack, Who Am I, Madman, Misery Loves Company, War Crimes, Bailout, Closet Punk, Slip My Wrist, Give My Taxes Back, Sad to Be, 
I'd rather be sleeping couch slouch first time that I can tell. Coming up soon. I don't need society and blockhead still in the set list to this. Day. How, how many songs? Twenty five. 25 so, songs, probably 18 minutes, which is a shorter concert than the Beatles performed at Shea Stadium or Bush Stadium, because apparently those four assholes would only play for 30 minutes at a time. Maybe they knew their ca their capabilities, and that was what's right. Um, you don't play it. It would take longer to leave. My band used to play like an hour and a half, and we didn't even have a release out. That's uh, fine. We were obnoxious. We felt we pl we acted like headliners when we weren't, and uh, and uh, oh, that's different. That's different. Carried that's different. us from we we felt we thought we were like Metallica, but we definitely were like not Metallica. Anyhow, uh, moving quite along, they go back home. Uh, they already were writing songs on the road and playing them like Couch Slouch, like Violent Pacification, which most fans listening to this podcast who like metal will know that the Slayer cover of Violent Pacification from the Undisputed Attitude covers album in 1995. God, I've listened to that record in a long time. I love that record. I, I don't know. Is it on vinyl? I kind of would like it. Probably. I mean, Diabolus is. I'm sure it is. The Slayer member that was a humongous DRI fan that you can almost point to the influence of DRI on Slayer is... Let me guess. Carrie? No, Jeff Hanneman. Oh. Carrie is a big metalhead. Carrie is like Scorpion's Priest Maiden. Hmm. So is Jeff, but Jeff also liked hardcore. Verbal Abuse, DRI. These are his bands. Discharge. So... The band comes back with their next legit EP, only 5 minutes and 41 seconds on R Radical Records and Dirty Rotten Records, Violent Pacification. Uh, it's a little more thrash. It's much better recorded. This is the way you'd really appreciate the sound of the band now. Uh, the, the title track is DRI Fully Formed. No, no arguments there. So is Couch Slouch. Couch Slouch is still one of their best. Couch Slouch is almost their sick of you. That's how much I love this song. Couch Slouch is probably my favorite. That and Crossover are my, you know, some of my favorite stuff, uh, Reaganomics, stuff like that. Um, you know, band lineup starts to kind of shift and rotate. Kurt Breck's brother comes in on drums for a long time at this point. No, he, he started. He started. Yeah, he's, he's in the band, not for long. Uh, Josh Pepe, who I believe died a couple of years ago, was on bass here, or Pepe. Yeah, Eric um, leaves the band after this tour. Right, right. So... Violent Pacification on side one, 254, at this point, the longest DRI song. Uh, and then it's backed with Running Around, Couch Slouch, and To Open Closed Doors, 29 seconds of it. Uh, any thoughts on this beside Violent Pacification and Couch Slouch? What do you think about these other two songs? Any feelings? It's a great, great five minutes. Maybe six. It's a great nearly six minutes. And I mean, that's... They made an impression in a very short time. They evolved in a very quick amount of time. You know, when you think about crossover thrash, basically they found a step Metallica couldn't find. Metallica jumped from, because they always wanted to be a new kind of heavier, Nawaba metal. DRI... Excuse me. DRI is a band that is looking for their footing, looking for their fingering, and they take many several steps. And I thank God that they took those steps because they created a genre of music that is not nearly as popular as anything uh, Metallica did. But I still love it. I love crossover. I love that punky thrash, that thrashy punk. And this you know this this five minutes 41 is 20 or 30 times better than the 16 minutes that preceded it just the the title track alone is worth they leveled up you know it's my up. kingdom for a horse my kingdom for a horse and they they traded the horse they traded the kingdom for the horse and then slit the guy in the throat and took the horse back and took the kingdom back and i mean that's an amazing an amazing piece of evolution in a very short time and then now we are unfortunately about about to arrive into the nebulous era where there's not where it's just it's just the spinal tap era of every band hits and when you say it's just those two dudes yeah it's just those two dudes 
Fair enough. I'm going to tell you that I'm still not sure I want to do a chaser after two. I really might want to do crossover before we take a break, but it's up to you if you're not into You it. said three. I did say three. I want to do three episodes three. and then a chaser. Right, three, then chaser. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. You might have corrected me during the week on Messenger. Um, I, have I did not, but that's what you said. I have nothing else to give this. Uh, it's a great start. I mean, these are not S-tier records. Violent Pacification is an S-tier song. You know, yes, but, but like they're not S tier records yet. No, they're getting no. there. They're gonna get there. We're talking. We don't even have a record yet. They don't actually have even what I would almost count as an EP yet. We have one. E it's twenty two minutes. That's an EP. Uh, you know, you do a twenty two minute EP. Great. However, don't release that because it costs the same money as as a record does. You know, write more songs. Write more songs. But we're talking about the 80s were different. I mean, you know, cocaine, records, pressing. I, I feel like they really did the road work like a boxer. You know what I'm saying? They put the time in out on the road to get tight, to be in the scene, to help make a scene. And I feel Completely. like they did the work. I, I forget what movie it was. It was one of the last uh, acting jobs James Gandolfini took. He played a father. His son started a band. And there was a scene after they had in, after they had auditioned for a, a hotshot producer or agent in New York, and he said, "You know, there's a spark here, but you're not ready. You you need to move to New York, and you need to play clubs for two years, and in two years come back to me. You know, and it, it should never be understated." Music is like sports. Imagine every club show you went to, and I'm not talking about the big clubs. I'm not talking about where Coheed and Cambria or Deicide or Carcass is going to play. I'm talking about the places like Snafu or Master, unfortunately, are going to play. They're going to play the smaller clubs. And at those clubs, you are going to get two local openers and two touring bands. And you are going to see an evolution from, I, I remember, I forget what band I was seeing, but the bass player for the local opener, one could only play one note per measure. She couldn't keep up. And two, she stood behind her amp. I'm going to let that ring there for a minute. Why do you stand in front of your amp, Keefe? Well, I mean, I want to hear it. So you can hear what you sound like. And then I moved on into, oh, it was, I think it actually was Snafu that night. And then Snafu was amazing. But that's, you know, and you will see in bands that legitimately develop, bands that actually mature and grow, you will see that same evolution that you can see at a club show. If they get too many local openers, you can see that in their career. And we have already seen it, it, it's not even like one level up. It's like a double level up. There is nothing on. I mean, I would put violent pacification up with anything on their later records, their, the classic DRI records, four of a kind crossover thrash zone. They have truly written and recorded an amazing song. They leveled up in every single possibility. And if you if you jumped on in the first album and or the first EP and then got to this one, how can you not be like, oh my God, I cannot wait to hear what you do next? Nicely done. I take it you yield your time. I think it's your turn to do the outro. Kiwi, thank you. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for enduring my inane incessantness i'm going to now use as many large syllable words as i can thank you very much everyone who has listened to every word we have said thank you very much especially if you are watching this if you could please i'm going to ask for three small favors you know what interact with this podcast in any way on a podcast delivery device whether it be youtube spotify apple what are the other ones which who cares because nobody listens to those uh like review subscribe whatever just do anything 
the the amount of time the amount of effort it takes you to write a review to give us a star rating to subscribe to like to comment will pale in comparison to the amazing wonderful energy and 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 deliverance you will give us and we will not squeal like pigs we will punch burt reynolds in the face deliverance get it deliverance no Mm? okay sorry sorry uh Anyway, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. There are a squillion billion podcasts on my Facebook feed done by my friends, and I don't listen to most of them, the vast majority. So thank you very much for checking us out and getting involved. And as we say every week, this is the Galatian Musical Podcast. It does not play in Peoria. Although, considering how many goddamn places DRI has been, they probably played Peoria four times last month. Paddle faster. I hear banjos. Whoa!